It's time for the VolQuest podcast, where we dissect the biggest news items of the week. With Ben McKee, BrentHubsVolQuest.com on a Friday, and it's first pitch Friday. The Tennessee baseball team set to start the season at Lindsey Nelson Stadium. And um, a lot of excitement, Ben, surrounding this baseball team. Um, a lot of people still basking in the glow of what happened last year at home. Obviously, there was disappointment at Lindsey now or in Omaha with the College World Series, but uh, j- just the juice that was created from a year ago in Knoxville has a lot of people excited about this team. How curious are you about this team as they get started this afternoon against Georgia Southern? Yeah, real, real curious. And it's been cool to see the excitement level transfer to this season. And everybody that was kind of on board for Omaha seems to be back on board for this upcoming season, year five of Tony Vitello. And it's just been cool to to see the the growth of Tennessee baseball from a fan perspective. And we all know Tennessee fans will cheer for anything that has a T on it and is being successful. That that That's what makes Tennessee fans so great. But I, I remember being in college as a student journalist those last couple of years of Serrano and just barely anybody at the at the field and not a whole lot of interaction on social media no media members back then really covering the team or or tweeting about them just silly things like that and and now we show up and the players are kind of in shock by how many media members are there there's seating down the left field line there's a double deck porch it's pretty much a a sellout this weekend uh, all the fancy seats are sold out. There's still some general admission seats left, but and, and it's just for Georgia Southern on opening weekend. It, it used to be just when Vanderbilt came to town that Lindsey Nelson would be sold out, and 50 to 60 percent of the stadium would would be Vanderbilt fans or, or opposing fans, Florida LSU, whoever it may be. So it's been real cool to see the excitement carry over, and there's a buzz on social media as well, which is always a, a good indication, but real, real eager to see this team, Brent, just because it's a weird mix of a lot of production to replace, but also there's several familiar faces coming back. I mean, half the production from last year is gone because you you pretty much have a new infield, but Evan Russell's back making the switch to catcher. Luke Lipsius, he's back at first base. You've got Redmond Walsh, who will kind of be your closer, and I say kind of just because he will be that late inning guy that you call upon in clutch situations, but it may not be just strictly in the ninth inning. It could be the sixth inning, the seventh, eighth, whenever Tony Vitello and Frank Anderson feel like the game is on the line in that moment, Redmond will come in. So those are your three COVID guys that are carrying over from last year. You've got Jordan Beck back. And if all goes well, he should be a first round pick. Drew Gilbert's back. So uh, real eager to see how those guys returning take, the next step and the leap that they potentially take, uh, but also interested to see some of these new guys. Well, before we get to some of those new guys to look out for this weekend, I want to circle back a little bit to what you were talking about with uh, the atmosphere and the excitement that that's there. How, how much credit does Tony Vitello and Tennessee's administration deserve for, for creating an atmosphere there? Because they let the 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 rowdies or or whatever name they're going by this year in that student section that they they kind of let them go. I mean, you know, they they drew um, criticism from from opposing coaches and and nobody kind of stifled them or or, or you know kind of told them to sit down and, and be quiet. How much 
by letting that go to a degree and keeping it within the realm of sportsmanship, has that helped create some of the juice you're talking about with this program? I think it's a huge reason. And I I think Tony Vitello specifically deserves a ton of credit just because he's embraced it. Ever since he got here, he's always talked about Tennessee may not have the, the biggest stadium in the SEC or the country or the nicest, newest looking seats or entrance to the stadium or whatever, but they can have the most unique atmosphere in the SEC or, or one of the most unique atmospheres in the SEC. That was his vision from day one. And you saw that last year with the student section that's right above first base, uh, getting on to Trey Morgan, the LSU first baseman. And, and that was a, a big topic in pulmonary going back to Baton Rouge that week and, and talking about the team or talking about Tennessee's environment. And I think it was something along the lines of uh, calling Tennessee fans classless or something like that. And, and obviously got a rise out of Tennessee fans, but uh, Tony gets a lot of credit for creating this environment because he's embraced it from day one. And it feels like Tony Vitello is part of Vault Twitter or uh, the real life version of, of Vault Twitter because he, he's not afraid to speak his mind. Uh, obviously, Vault Twitter is, is very much that way. And uh, he, he's just embraced it from, from day one that he, he wants it to be rowdy and uh, maybe a little rough around the edges and in a good way. And I think that's the best way you can summarize Tennessee fans. So I, I think Tony deserves a, a ton of credit for creating this atmosphere because the team feels, or not the team, but the fans feel like they know him personally. And I think that's the best way you can bridge the gap between player, coach, and, and fan. Yeah, he's a man of the people. There's no question about that. Last two seasons combined for Tennessee, of course, that's the COVID year before Tennessee, before things got shut down in conference play. Last year in the pre-conference, you combine those two seasons, Tennessee is 30-5 and five in the pre-conference schedule. A year ago, going 15-3. Uh, and three. Why has this program been good in the pre-conference schedule? And should fans have expectations like that for this year with this baseball team in terms of the pre-conference schedule? I think they've been good because of, A, the depth on the team. Uh, when when you start baseball season, it's it's kind of – uh, trial by error and just kind of seeing what fits, what works, what doesn't work, what doesn't fit. And the only way that you can successfully do that, in my opinion, is if you have depth and good competition, good culture. And Tennessee, the last two, three years, has really checked all of those boxes. And I, I think they check those boxes once again. This weekend, I would, I, I was going to say I would be stunned if you see the same lineup all three days, but you're, you're just simply not going to see the same lineup all three days. And, and part of that's because there's new faces at third base, shortstop, second base, and guys are going to get their opportunity to show what they can do out in left field, the DH spot, uh, backup catcher, uh, pitching staff a little banged up. So guys are going to be put into some high leverage situations that maybe they wouldn't normally be put into. Uh, so, and you, Tony's able to do that because he has so much talent and, and so much depth. But that that's really key in these early games early on in the season, just allowing that depth to win you games while you're still trying to figure out those puzzle pieces. Because sometimes coaches can try to fit a square peg in a round hole and, and it not work. And, and they try to learn those lessons early on in the year. But talent kind of makes up for that. And good, healthy competition makes up for that in a way, because even if 
who you think is going to be the starting shortstop. Maybe he's not in there on a Saturday or Sunday to get another guy an opportunity. Well, that next guy behind the starting shortstop, he's just as capable of producing. And that's big in, in preseason and in non-conference game, in my opinion, while they're trying to get a feel for what's going to work best during SEC play. Well, it's interesting because you look at this, obviously, from a pitching staff standpoint with the injuries they're dealing with right now. They have to force some young guys in there to try to create some depth. But but I think Tony Vitello has always been willing in midweek games and in pre-conference schedule games to, to, to roll a dice. And I'm not saying he's willing to lose. It's not like he's out there going, okay, it's all right if we lose this one. It's not that. But he's not sitting there going, okay, let, let's, let, let's, let's guarantee this win here. We're going to play our regular starters, you know, five days a week to make sure we get those midweek wins when we get into conference schedule or even in the preseason. It, it seems like he forces depth both on the mound and in the field because he is not afraid to put a guy in a unique situation. I'm not saying you don't earn it on the practice field, but he's really willing to, to put some freshmen out there and go, hey, grow, learn. You're going to make a mistake, but it's okay. And these are the types of games where you need to go make a mistake at because you may be counted upon in conference, you know, in the conference schedule at some point. Right. I think that's spot on. It's like Will Wade a couple of weeks ago with Xavier Pinson being banged up. He, he said, we brought him back too soon. We're going to sit him this Saturday against Vanderbilt. If we lose, we lose, but we've got to get Xavier Pinson ready to go. It's maybe not to that extent. And funny enough, LSU did end up getting blown out by Vanderbilt that Saturday, but, Again, it's not to that extent, but Tony Vitello is not married to to just one idea or just trying to be proven right by the the guys that he brought in, uh, the highly ranked guys that that were brought in to to fill a certain role or uh, perceived to fill a particular role, be a starter or whatnot. He he's willing to to go whatever direction he needs to in order to win. All he cares about is winning. He, he doesn't care how he gets there, whether it's this player or that player. And it's a long season, 60 games. Injuries are going to pop up. Guys are randomly going to get hit by a pitch on the hand and have to miss a month of the season. Uh, and the only way that you can overcome that later on in the year is if if you give some of these younger guys a chance early on to, to grow and learn and get a feel for college baseball. And he, he has done a terrific job. He, Frank Anderson, uh, Josh Elander, the coaches, they they do a terrific job of getting everybody ready. And I, I think just simply put, it's they don't play politics like you so often hear about in sports. It's whatever's best for the team at that moment in time. If if one guy's not uh, giving it to them the way they need to, then they'll trot somebody else out there. They're not afraid to do that what, whatsoever. Do fans have to be reminded that this is a 60-game season? <laughs> Yes, I would say so just a, a little bit or uh, just I mean, this, be reminded. This team's going to lose some games. I mean, you're, you're not going unbeaten, you know, that it's it's about late in the year more than it is about the beginning of the year. Not that you want to be awful in the preseason, but with the, the way the SEC is, you can not be a great preseason or pre-conference team and still find your way to regional play because of the power of the SEC. Um Vice versa, you can't get your way into a regional by what you do in the pre-conference schedule because you have to manage the conference. So the Tennessee fans need to realize that, that this is about, you know, May and, and, and trying to be playing baseball in June and not get too obsessed with a loss here or there along the way in February and March. 
Yeah, I, I think so. <laughs> and there's there's going to have to be a, a reshifting of, I, I don't know, of expectations because this team still should be good and make the tournament. But it's, it's not going to come as maybe easy as it did last year. And last year it, it perceived to come easy because you had so many returning guys. I mean, practically the whole team was coming back outside of, Garrett Crochet, who was a, a first round pick and, and Zach Daniels. I mean, there's, there were only really two guys off of the COVID shortened season that didn't return and you practically return your whole starting lineup. That isn't the case this year. So there's going to be growing pains. Uh, we've seen that with, with Tennessee basketball the year after uh, Grant and, and Admiral and that team moved on and that team wasn't destined for the NCAA tournament when COVID cut the season short, but it it was still had a lot of growing pains that season. I don't think the Tennessee baseball team is going to be uh, on on the risk of missing out on the tournament like that team following Grant and Admiral. But just trying to point out that that team had growing pains. The program has had growing pains trying to to get back to to what perceives to be where they are now, and that's because they've had new guys fill in. and And this team, although it has those familiar faces that I mentioned off the top, they've got a lot of guys in in new not just positions, but just with, with new pressure on them. I mean, Trey Lipscomb, who's going to be the starting third baseman this year, he had the luxury of sitting behind the guy in Jake Rucker, who was a top three round pick and, and is off to play for the Minnesota Twins. And now it's his time to shine. And the coaching staff has always believed in Trey and, and think that he's going to be uh, really good when it was his turn and kind of talk about him as the future at third base. But he hasn't had pressure on him at Tennessee because he's been playing behind Jake Rucker, who was the most consistent player on that team last year. So there, there's new guys and new roles, and there, there's going to be some growth like an Olivier Camois has experienced to where maybe he's spotty early on in the season, but then because he's playing so much, he finally hits his stride, and he looks to be that looks to be the player that the coaches always thought that they would be. Trey Litscombe, I think, is going to be a perfect example of that. He's a guy that's always – really performed well in midweek games against lesser competition, but struggled a little bit more against SEC competition. I, I think part of that was because he wasn't playing a ton. And baseball is such a repetitious sport that, that you have to be playing all the time. So this first month of the season, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see a Trey Lipscomb or Cortland Lawson at shortstop. Some guys that are starting for the first time go through struggles. And those struggles are, are going to be frustrating at times. They're going to lead to, to losses at times. But also those struggles are going to prepare them and, and help them be better by the time you're playing in, in Gainesville in April or May or uh, Vanderbilt the first weekend of April, Mississippi State last weekend of, of the regular season. Like they'll be ready to play by then. So, yes, there, there needs to be uh, a realization uh, that they're, they're not going to go undefeated. Baseball is much different than football. There, there's not as much important importance on every single baseball game like there is football game and with so many guys in, in new roles and facing new pressure and and just a new season for them there, there's going to be some growing pains more so than you've seen the last two years in, in the in the in the field of play position players who are you most interested to see this weekend Ooh, that's a tough question I, I could go a number of guys you talk about Evan Russell making the transition to catcher who who could have seen that coming? I mean, he was an everyday left fielder last year, and now he's moving to catcher. And that that's no easy transition to make. And 
he's going to be dealing with guys who are just pumping gas left and right and, and touching triple digits on the radar gun. That That's not an easy transition. So really curious to see how Evan Russell handles catching defensively. We, we know what his bat will bring to the middle of the lineup. Maybe not a high average type of guy, but he's going to hit you 12, 15 homers and, and he's going to have some big clutch hits like he did last year. So I would throw Evan into that and I would throw Trey Lipscomb and, and Cortland Lawson into that as, as well as guys that I'm eager to see just because they're new faces and, and how do they respond against a different team? Uh, I mentioned that Trey Lipscomb has always kind of been hyped up and Tennessee's coaches have talked about him as being the future of the third base p- position for them. That future has arrived and now it's his time to kind of take the job and, and run with it. And all, all indications are that he had a good fall, had a good spring. Cortland Lawson, who will likely be the starting shortstop, he, he's been as consistent as anybody hitting the ball in, in the fall and the spring. But how do they perform when, when the lights come on? It's one thing to do it in fall ball when there's maybe a fan or two sitting in the stands or uh, in practice and BP when, when nobody's there, there's no pressure on you. But how do they perform when when the lights come on? So I think those are the three guys that I'm most eager to see this weekend because you you know what you're going to get in Luke Lipschitz at first. Uh, you, you know what Jordan Beck and, and Drew Gilbert are going to bring. Obviously, there's a little bit of intrigue there because you want to see how big of a step they can take from sophomore to junior year. Uh, left field's interesting. Kyle Booker, can can he take the job and and run with it? You, you've also uh, got two JUCO guys that could potentially play out there and Logan Chambers and Seth Stevenson, uh, two of the top JUCO players in the country last year. And Logan Chambers just consistently hits the ball. I mean, he, he is just a walking hit. And Seth Stevenson has the potential to be the one of the fastest. He won't be the fastest because that's Enrique Bradfield Jr., at Vanderbilt, their center fielder, but he can be the next fastest player in the SEC. So I, I know that's a broad answer, but just I'm I'm real eager to see all the new faces. But if I had to shorten that list, it would be uh, Trey Lipscomb, Cortland Lawson at third and shortstop because I, I think they're really going to have to produce this year in order for Tennessee to be good. All right, Evan Russell's behind the plate. We'll see how he handles managing base runners and, and all of those things that come with playing catchers as well. But you also, how does he manage the pitchers? And it's a pitching staff that's not going to start the season like anybody had envisioned them starting this season when, you know, you, you got Tidwell down and, you know, Sewell's out this weekend because of a little little hand injury that he suffered. It doesn't appear to be anything serious. Um, they're banged up there. Now, Frank Anderson's been terrific everywhere he's he's been, and he gets guys ready. So I don't think Tennessee fans and people that follow baseball closely are freaked out about the pitching staff and, and what's going on there because of the what Frank Anderson has done. But but what should Tennessee fans expect out of the pitching staff this weekend? Um, what are you looking to see out of this pitching staff this weekend? And how big is it that Evan Smith is or Evan Smith? Ethan Smith, excuse me, is eligible, uh, the, the Vanderbilt transfer. Ethan Smith being eligible is huge just because of the injuries that you mentioned. I mean, Blake Tidwell, I mean, that's a huge loss. And we'll see just how huge of a loss it becomes. Because right now, it's not the end of the world that he's not pitching. It's not. It'll be the end of the world when he's not pitching in a couple of months in in conference play if he's not able to return. But the expectation is is that he should, at minimum, be back by the time SEC play is starting or a weekend or two into SEC play. So 
Uh, it, it's not the end of the world that he's not pitching this weekend or, or Seth Halverson, the Missouri transfer who had a freak incident while pitching in a bullpen and his arm just snapped while he's throwing a pitch, which is really freaky and makes me cringe every time I think about it. But he wasn't going to be a starter. Uh, he, he was going to come out of the bullpen. I think the, the the starting rotation was going to be Blake Tidwell, Chase Dolander, the Georgia Southern transfer, and and Chase Burns. So you have most of that back for the most part, or you, you still have most of that while you're dealing with the injuries. Uh, Camden Sewell was, was going to fill in there. So it, it's unfortunate that uh, a guy that can start and can also be a heavy relief guy out of the bullpen, he won't be available after taking a ground ball off of his hand like you mentioned, and he won't play this weekend because of that. But uh, Ethan Smith being eligible is just huge just because of all those injuries that, that you're dealing with. I, I would be surprised if he started, but he, he's an SEC guy. He, he knows what the SEC is. Uh, he didn't necessarily pitch big uh, pressurized moments at, at Vandy, but he, he pitched enough and, and his numbers look good. We'll see how that translates uh, to, to having a more important role here at Tennessee, but he's just another guy out of the bullpen that you can use against what will be a, a good Georgia Southern team and, and a hard lineup to, to go against. They have seven of their nine starters in the lineup coming back. And a couple of those guys are preseason conference players. Um, so Ethan Smith being eligible is just absolutely huge. Just, just in the short time, short term, long term, short term because of the injuries, long term, because you can never have enough arms in the SEC, but, uh, what I'm most curious about this weekend is just the new guys uh, again. Uh, Chase Dolander, <laughs> funny enough, starting the season against his old team in Georgia Southern. Uh, I would imagine that he pitches on Saturday. Chase Burns is going to start Friday night. Uh, the true freshman who I've called Blade Tidwell 2.0 just because he could have been drafted out of high school but wanted to come to Tennessee and, and learn under Frank Anderson. Could have made a lot of money doing so but uh, chose college instead. He's from the mid-state, just like Blake Tidwell, and I think he's going to be in the running for SEC Freshman of the Year when it's all said and done. And I know injuries are factoring into him starting on Friday night, the, the first game of the year, but I think it is also telling that Tennessee is trotting him out there for the first game of the season and what they think of him. Um, Chase Bellander, he's they think that he could be a future first-round pick as well. So you've got two first-round picks going on Friday and Saturday making their first career Tennessee starts. So that that's obviously a big thing to keep out, keep an eye out for this weekend. And then Sunday, I'm real curious to see what they do on Sunday. There's been a little talk about Drew Beam potentially uh, starting on Sunday. Didn't really pitch much last year as a senior in high school because he, he was coming off of Tommy John, uh, was the former starting quarterback at Blackman High School there in the mid-state. And he's a guy who uh, the, the talk around him behind the scenes has has really increased kind of as each month has progressed didn't hear much about him in the fall mainly because I think he was coming off the Tommy John but you, you start to hear a little bit of buzz in December January that ramped up and and now February he's being mentioned as a, a potential starter the first weekend of the season so uh, gonna have three new guys starting for you this year after you lose Chad Dallas you lose Will Heflin and uh, real curious to see how they kind of perform in their first action and and it's not going to be an easy weekend right off the bat uh georgia southern is going to be a tough team to go up against yeah and, and chad dallas was such a stabilizing force for tennessee on fridays uh in, in the weekend series i mean he set the tone because he ate up innings on friday nights and he was just effective it wasn't that he was 
the biggest power guy in the world, but but he was a guy that when he grabbed the ball, it felt like everybody in the dugouts, you know, belief was even ramped up more. I mean, he just commanded that kind of presence about him. That's key for a Friday night starter for whoever that's going to be for for Tennessee. Is this a pitching staff that is going to be a you you, you think it's going to be a power staff? Is this going to be a hard throwing? Frank Anderson, we're going to throw strikes and see if you can hit us and we're going to keep the ball down and get ground balls and put the ball in play and, and go that way? Or is this going to be an overpowering high strikeout, you know, group? What, what, what do you think the, the makeup of this pitching staff in, in terms of how you would – what characteristic you would give it? I think it's a mixture of, of both. You're, you're not going to pitch for Frank Anderson if you don't throw strikes. Uh, it, it's as simple as, as that. But the luxury of – of this staff and and how mainly how Tony Vitello and Frank Anderson have recruited the last couple of years is they have guys who can throw strikes, but they have guys who can throw strikes at near a hundred miles an hour. And that that's both in the starting rotation. Uh, that's out of the bullpen. Uh, ben Joyce is a name that I have not mentioned yet. He's a, a Knoxville native, uh, went to Walter state signed with Tennessee, had to, to go through Tommy John and uh, this will be, his first year coming back from Tommy John and impressed uh, a whole lot there in the fall and in January touched 103 on the radar gun in a bullpen. So uh, he's, if, if Tennessee fans can remember Andrew Schultz for a couple of years ago, he's a, a more controlled Andrew Schultz. Andrew Schultz could throw really hard and that got him drafted by the Phillies but you didn't necessarily know where it was going to go at all times. And you, you could usually tell by his warm-up pitches or his first or second pitch that he threw what kind of day it was going to be for him. But Ben Joyce is, is much more controlled, and he's going to be a, a key, key piece to this Tennessee pitching staff and uh, could be – he will be one of the first arms out of the bullpen and, and prove to be the most important arm out of the bullpen uh, here when we look at the, the staff as a whole in a couple of months. Uh, and then – the three that are starting when Blade gets back, Blade, both Chases, Dolander and Burns, who I just spoke about, they're all guys who are high velocity guys. And and with Burns and Tidwell, especially, I mean, it, it's with relative ease that they are pumping upper 90s and can touch 100 whenever they want to. Uh, they, they've I think Redmond Walsh put it the other day that they've got five, six guys that can touch triple digits and are high velocity guys. And there, there's some major league staffs that don't have five or six guys that can touch triple digits. So it's a little bit of both. Uh, I do think that they will overpower people at times, but uh, to pitch for Frank Anderson, you, you have to be able to throw strikes. And everybody thinks of those guys that I mentioned as, you know, guys that just are going to overpower hitters, but they also have really good secondary pitches as well. They, they can go to a second or third pitch, if they need to, they're, they're very versatile. It's just not fastball or nothing with them. And to, in order to be successful in the SEC, you have to have more than a fastball because these hitters in this league are seeing upper 90s every single weekend. It doesn't really phase them uh, whatsoever. You've got to have those secondary uh, change-ups or, or curveballs, sliders, splitters, whatever it may be, a cutter. Like you, You've got to mix in some other pitches. And, and all of these pitches, pitchers that I have talked about, they, they have versatility in their arsenal. Um, so I, I do think it'll be a staff that overpowers people, but the, the, the ones who are most consistently throwing strikes are the ones that are going to pitch the most. 
Well, it should be fun to see. There's a fan base that's excited to see what this team looks like. They're excited to get the season started. It's a Georgia Southern team that's coming to town that's excited to play Tennessee. Uh, <laughs> this thing had a little, little <laughs> high intensity about it to the, the last time these two teams got together. So th- there'll be plenty of uh, opening weekend intensity. It won't just be excitement. There'll be a lot of intensity between these two, t- between these two teams. Should, should be a lot of drama at Lindsey Nelson Stadium coming up this weekend. It should. I'm real curious to see how the weekend goes. Uh, Drew Gilbert met with the media earlier this week, and first question was, uh, do you anticipate being hit by a pitch? And it, it was kind of a tongue-in-cheek question, kind of joking around, messing around with, with Gilbert. And uh, he said – he laughed and chuckled, and he said, whatever it takes to get on base. And uh, that question was asked because Drew Gilbert was kind of the one that initiated – all the fireworks down in Statesboro last year and both teams jawed all weekend at each other and uh, didn't back down from one another. Tennessee was able to come out on top that weekend, but uh, there were plenty of fireworks. And I imagine those fireworks as Georgia Southern wants revenge, uh, they will reappear. And then you've got the added context of Chase Dolander, one of their best pitchers from last year, a freshman All-American making his first start for Tennessee uh, I imagine there'll be a little chippiness there as well. And, and Georgia Southern is a good baseball program, uh, and they should be. Uh, baseball is much different in, in that regard, college baseball, whereas these talent-rich states like a Georgia, they're, they're smaller programs throughout the state. Obviously, you think of Georgia Tech, you think of Georgia, but the, the Valdosta states and Georgia Southerns and, and Georgia states, because there's so much baseball in the state of Georgia, Kennesaw State, those teams are typically really good because of how much baseball is, is played in Georgia and, and in the South. So it'll be a, a real good test for Tennessee right off the bat. Well, we'll see how it goes. We'll have, co- have coverage for you all weekend long at VolQuest.com. Ben, thanks for your time. That gets you ready for Tennessee baseball on this first pitch Friday. I'm Brent Hubbs, VolQuest.com. You've been listening to the VolQuest podcast every week here on VolQuest.